five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Hey, space enthusiasts. We are back talking about Earth observation, specifically about how to make accessing and using EO data user-friendly. My guest this week is Luke Fisher. He's the co-founder and CEO of SkyFi, an Austin-based startup that is essentially an EO marketplace and app store. He'll tell us all about that and also his view on the state of EO in general. Enjoy. My name is Raphael Rodkin, and I'm an investor and advisor to space companies. Just as a reminder, this podcast is for informational purposes only, and nothing should be taken as investment advice. This podcast is sponsored by NanoAvionics, a satellite manufacturer and mission integrator. Their technologies enable many space companies worldwide to offer services that improve life right here on Earth, such as providing global connectivity, conducting Earth observation, or contributing to scientific discoveries. Check them out, and also check out my episode with the CEO and co-founder. Sadly, I am not a rocket scientist, but I'm an alumnus of the International Space University. ISU offers a number of educational programs about space worldwide. Check them out at isunet.edu. And just some final things before we start the episode about ourselves. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform, such as Apple or Spotify. If you want us help, expand our work, you can do so and support us at www.patreon.com forward slash space business podcast. And we'll also put that link in the episode notes. And lastly, you can follow us on Twitter at podcast underscore space. Hey, space enthusiasts, welcome back. It's time for another episode of the space business podcast. My guest today is Luke Fisher, and he is the co-founder and CEO of SkyFi from Austin. Welcome, Luke. Thanks, Raphael. Super excited to uh, to chat. Yeah, it should be fun. Yeah, it's it's great to have another um, EO Earth Observation um, related episode. Actually, I think we haven't had one in a while, and it's it's clearly it's a very hot field, one of the main space applications. So it'll be and you guys are as we will see, you guys are sitting at a very interesting part of the value chain. So I think you have a very good overview of things, and so I should I shall probe you a little bit of your views yeah. on where the yeah, EO market is going. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, um, before we delve into the broader market, why don't we start off uh, as usual? And may I ask you to give us the elevator pitch on SkyFi, please? Yeah, sure. Um, SkyFi is an Earth observation marketplace company. So we partner with satellite companies, aerial imaging companies, stratospheric balloon companies, and analytic companies to offer solutions to um, enterprise users, government users, people of the world to access this technology. And it's really about you know powering solutions, powering answers across the globe. Um, and we're just about um, just about two years old, so I think relatively young in the in the Earth observation and geospatial world. Okay, terrific. And so a marketplace, you know, that obviously exists in, in, in many other industries. And I think what, you know, knowing your story a little bit, what one of the reasons behind that is to sort of is to, to take to take out the friction for the end user, right, of using right. Um, EO data. And so why don't you talk us a little bit through sort of like, because many people may not know, like, you know, if somebody wants to use EO, EO data for something. Um, you know, in, in their industry. Yeah. Like, what is the process right now? You know, why is it, I, I believe it's, I have no doubt it myself, I must admit, but I believe it's quite painful. And then sort of, how are you guys doing it differently? Yeah. Yeah. The, the industry itself, um, you know, it is quite painful outside of what you can do with SkyFi in terms of, you know, the, the easy access and usability. You know, the rest of the industry, you know, part of the problem is they've, you know, the satellite companies, analytic companies have geared their sales cycle to really serve their biggest customer and that's historically been the governments of the world and the US government so you you're entering this industry as a commercial user that is used to um, following the government acquisition cycle so it takes weeks and months to get data um, so these these sales cycles cycles have carried over the commercial world. So, you know, very common if you want, let's say an analytical solution or, or just an image, just an image of anything in the world. First, you have to contact sales. Then there's usually multiple weeks of back and forth, finding the right salesperson, you know, to solve your, your questions, you're negotiating pricing, you get a restrictive licensing with this, you know, multi-layered agreement for a contract. So it can take, it can take weeks and months just to get a simple image. And, you know, very, very, 
routinely. And even on um, Twitter this morning, I found somebody, you know, complaining about it. They're like, I tried buying from, you know, X satellite company, Y satellite company. I contacted them. It was back and forth. It took weeks. I don't know the pricing. And they're asking me how much I want to purchase next year. And most people don't know, like they just want their, their problem solved immediately. So, you know, we saw this when um, I, I partnered up with my co-founder, Bill Perkins, who, you know, is coming from the natural gas world, the trading world, who was trying to buy satellite imagery a couple years ago in quite a sizable chunk, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And we couldn't do it. It was, it was super frustrating. Like trying to give satellite companies money is very hard and it shouldn't be. And so we, we decided to go, hey, we're going to solve this. We're going to create this web and mobile application that solves these pain points. You don't have to talk to sales. You don't have to get an annual contract. You can come in, you can purchase an image, you can purchase multiple images, you can purchase analytical solutions with a couple button presses. And, you know, we live in a day and age where I can buy a house online, a car online, yet I can't get a satellite image or an analytic solution online with a couple button presses without talking to a human. So it's this outdated industry. Um, and so we're just making it easy. We're, you know, breaking down the friction layer. And it is, it is very simple. You just make it accessible. You put the pricing on and people gravitate towards it because that's the environment they're they're used to solving. Just just drilling down a little, little bit more detail, like what specifically was difficult, uh, you know, in, in, in giving money to the satellite companies? Was it like you said, was it like the, con the contract structure? Yeah. Structures didn't match. Was that one main thing or was there something else? Yeah, it was. Yeah, very specifically, it was the, it was the contract structures. You know, most of the, you know, like most sales positions are are ruled by commission-based sales. Um, so there's, there's a lack of incentive to sell, you know, a small um, handful of imagery to one customer when it's better optimized for those salespeople to go after larger contracts, bigger companies that'll be there repetitively year after year. So you had this artificially constrained market that was essentially left out. Um, and so it was it was the contracting and just the time to acquire the imagery because in trading, you know, and that's where a lot of our customers are, you know, in the financial world and trading, you know, things are changing by the, by the hour and minute. You can't wait weeks to make a decision. Um, so you have to have it immediately. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it was the time to purchase. And then the constant theme of, Hey, well, how much are you going to buy next year or the year after? It's like, I don't know. I, I just want this right now. Here's, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Can you please give me the imagery? And they're like, well, let's talk more. It's like, come on guys. Like we're in gals, we're trying to give you money for imagery. Um, and it still exists today. I, I challenge anyone that listens to this contact a satellite company and be like, I want to order an image by the end of the week. And I will be very surprised if anyone's able to do that, to get the actual imagery. Um, it just, it's not a function. And again, there's there's reasons for this. And again, on the government acquisition cycle, you know, when the government contracts for something, they want to make sure they they get the, the product they want. There's no discrepancy and price is not the issue. In the commercial world, you know, people want the product, but price is a big concern and time is a bigger concern as well. Okay, and so why is it then that, let's say you, Skyfire, I'm not just basically facing the same issue that like instead of like the end customer you guys are calling and facing all of this like pain in the behind of like oh no you you can't buy a single issue is, is it is it because you guys are like able to aggregate and hence the satellite companies are comfortable there's sufficient volume yes yeah that's it so we you know we aggregate everyone you know so when a user wants an image you know we send out via API again everything we do is automated um, and so we send out an API call to the best satellite that's able to capture that users needs because um, we're finding most people don't care about you know the company that the imagery comes from they just want their data um, so the value proposition we give to the satellite companies that are partners with us is hey we can we can grow your organic market faster than you can by having a web and mobile application by breaking down the barriers while they've still focus on you know the government or the you know the multi multi-million dollar contracts a year that need imagery so we're we're able to provide them value and that's why they partner with us because we can grow that demand and we we you know we have reach all across the globe and there's you know a little bit of nre non-recoverable engineering um that takes your requirements to get into our api um so it's all api connections through us um and so you know that's that's the you know the real secret but again you know we negotiate with the satellite companies on behalf of our customers that's why it's taken a while because we do 
most of our work is partner negotiations. Um, we have to make sure the APIs are ready. You know, we have to make sure the pricing is set and transparent. Um, and then, you know, how do we, you know, not cannibalize each other's businesses is what it comes down to. And, and just so under, to understand the precise product, um, because I mean, so for people who are not that familiar with EO, there's obviously one thing where is what we call tasking, right? Let's say, yeah, you're a trader and like, hey, uh, guys at SkyFi, I want to be able to see, I don't know, this oil storage uh, terminal every day for the next, seven days going forward, right? And so that would be what we call tasking, right? The other option would be sort of like doing some sort of historical analysis, right? And having like back catalog of images. Is it is it one or the other or is it is it both? Yeah, good good question. Really, there's there's three pillars for the SkyFi product. Again, under this web and mobile application, that is is the power behind it. So we have the ability to get open data. So free data from government satellites, from other providers, free data sets that they put out there. And we, we put that out to our customers. So there's this open data set, which is historical satellite imagery. And then we have our, our paid data, which goes into what you talked about. That's the tasking assets in the future, and then the historical um, data that exists because satellites and airplanes and drones and balloons are flying overhead. They're collecting all this data and we pull that historical imagery as well. So you have the tasking, tasking in the future, and then the historical data. Um, and then we have our analytics marketplace, which is relatively new for us. And to me, that's the so what, because that's where you go from getting analytics to insights to answers. And those those answers are what's really key. And that's where I think you know the future of this, this industry is going. Because again, imagery is great. Imagery always tell a story, always very popular. But on, on the more commercial and business and government use case, it's about those answers that you're driving from that from that data, from the imagery um, for it. So yeah, just to rehash, you can get the analytical marketplace to get your answers. You get historical data. You can task assets in the future. And then we have free data sets as well, um, or because a lot of people use the free stuff or analytics. So, so I want to drill down the data versus insights. I think that's 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 really important, right? Because it's one thing to have, you know, to get the data and sort of taking the friction out of getting the data. That's already very, very valuable, I personally think, right? But especially if I look at commercial use cases, I imagine, and to some extent, I know from, you know, anecdotal personal conversations with people in the industry that, you know, somebody has a specific use case, let's say, for example, an energy trader. And I mean, they don't really know what kind of data is out there necessarily, right? And what kind of sensors, like they probably never heard of like, oh, what's a hyperspectral sensor or, you know, some of the other stuff, right? They just want like, okay, you know, ideally in an ideal world, you'd have almost like, a, you know, talking about APIs and stuff, you'd almost have like a natural language interface saying like, hey, I want to, you know, know the storage levels are in this oil terminal again for the next few days and everything else gets abstracted away right like something in the background decides okay i should use these sensors and hence i can use these providers and then you just get like an output right i mean how far along i mean yeah. a do you agree and b how far along are we to that sort of very nice vision right yeah i definitely agree that that's where the future is um again i think there will always be a spot for imagery people just like you know the pictures what i call the pretty pictures of the electro optical imagery but um you know it's the natural evolution of technology is what we're seeing where first it was like, can we build rockets? Yes, we can build rockets. Can we launch them into space? Yes, we can. Now, can we put things on them and, you know, put satellites into orbit? Okay. Then how do we use that data? So now it's this evolution of, you know, we know how to get satellites to space. We know how to get rockets. We know how to build applications. And then it gets to the answers where it's this evolution of getting, um, you know, quicker. Cause again, everything is accelerating on this, this time scale, which is, which is really neat to think about how fast we're going to go in one year, two years, three years five years, 10 years from now, what this technology will be. But um, yeah, getting towards those those answers, but asking a question of data and then not even knowing it's geospatially powered, not knowing there's satellites taking imagery and then API calls being made to analytic solutions to get the answers to those data. You know, I think in the very near future, and we're already experimenting with it, you know, it'll be like, show me how many, show me how many ships are in the Singapore Harbor at peak, you know, peak um, um, operational time. And you get an answer. It should, you know, 87 ships, you know, 3000 ships, whatever the answer may be. Um, that's where I think we're going uh, with it. And again, I think it's coming faster than we think. Um, but then if we look back, you know, even two years ago, three years ago, you know, there was no readily available way 
to task a satellite without talking to a human. Now here we are. And now those those times still of getting the data can be, you know, still hours and hours, if not days and weeks, depending on the type of data you're getting. But that's going to decrease where instead of hours, it's going to be minutes and then it's going to be seconds where it's that real time. It's just the natural evolution of, of how we're developing. And, and do you find, because the other thing I sort of anecdotally perceive is that many commercial users, so like non-space sectors of the economy, right? And I, I'm one of these people who tends to believe that actually probably every sector I can imagine could use EO data in some value added way, right? But again, also from anecdotal experience, I know that almost no one has actually any idea that this is case. So my question was, how much of your sort of business, how does your business development work? Is it, do you find it's mostly you actually getting inbound requests? So people are actually more educated than I, that I may yeah. believe, or is it still mostly outbound, like trying like having to educate the customer? Re really good question. I would say there's non-government non, non, non customers, obviously. I'm talking right. About. Yeah, right. Government is, is a yeah. different, different animal. Different bucket for the government, for sure. I think there's two broad, broad categories that we go after. You have these existing purchasers of satellite imagery, geospatial data, technology analytics, what have you, that know exactly what they want. They can be small businesses. They can be large enterprises. They have you know geospatial experts. They just want a better process and price. We get a lot of those, a lot of going, finally, there's somebody that makes it super easy. I know my pricing. So for them, you know, it's a lot of inbound, but still closing that awareness gap. And again, the process and price is, is very clearly been a pain point, you know, for for years and years and years, if not if not decades. So that one we're solving, that's pretty easy. But then a lot of what we're doing is outbound because there's this awareness gap for those companies that should be using geospatial technology, data, analytics, but either just have no idea about it or don't know how. Um, in a, and so there is a lot of outbound on the BD side. We do a lot of, and it's very intentionally, and I think we have done a fantastic job is our, our organic media outreach. So, you know, we're really big on Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it these days, LinkedIn, Instagram, Discord, you know, pushing newsletters out and blogs because there's this awareness gap in of one of the best cases in point I've, I've come across, it was actually when we were in, we were in Singapore, I was talking to an individual who's um, in a leadership position at a you know major, major um, developer company, land. They buy up land all over Asia, Southeast Asia. Um, he was telling me about a problem they had a couple of years ago. And this is a new potential customer who was introduced to us because he didn't know the power of geospatial technology. And he said, hey, we bought a bunch of land in India, you know, millions and millions of dollars worth of land. They bought it in the dry season. The wet season came. They found there was these protected waterways that ran through and they could not develop. And he's like, if only there was a way for geospatial technology to do this. And my answer was like, that exists today. It's existed for a while. And it could have saved this company millions of dollars for literally like hundreds of dollars worth of analytical solutions. Um, and so it's this awareness gap where, it, you know, to your point, every industry should use it. I think Mackenzie wrote a, a report a couple months ago saying if you're, mm -hmm. you know, if you're business isn't using geospatial technology or embracing it, you're going to be left behind. I think it's absolutely true. Um, you can have a use case for every, every industry out there. Um, and another example, one I always like to bring up is we had a, a, a large pool manufacturer use us because they wanted to look at in the US who has pools, who doesn't, where should they target market? or who doesn't have pools, who has competitors pools. So just, I mean, pretty sure decades ago when we were putting up satellites, no one thought a pool manufacturer would be using geospatial technology to better sale. And so if somebody like that comes to you today, sort of like, what, how exactly does the business model work? Like, so for example, the pool manufacturer, it seems like at least initially, it's going to be sort of like a one-off thing, right? To see, okay, what taking stock of the current, like a pool landscape, so to say in the US, yeah. right? So it's like, they okay, so they pay for a certain set of images and then you also like add on, on one of your analytics products or how does it exactly work yeah. in an example like that? Yeah, we find there's, there's two different ways. So, you know, people can go right to the app. They know their location. They can drag and drop a box, hit submit, get their imagery very quickly. And at the same time, do the analysis if they want, if they're looking at building count or, you know, airplane detection or oil level, like just go to the analytical marketplace and do it without talking to a human. So we do have a lot of customers um, that we find out just by chance that they're using us, they're contact us and be like, Hey, I've been using your product for a while. It's great. Like, here's what I'm using it for. We're like, great. That, that's amazing. Um, and so again, it's the self-serve. And again, part of our value proposition is we don't ask you your use cases. You don't have to tell us what 
what you're doing. I mean, we do sanctions checks and KYC and diligence to make sure we're- I, I was just, I, I'm happy you mentioned, I was just going to ask, like, after you said that first, like, okay, we don't ask about your use cases, like, okay, hypothetically, and it's a stupid example, but like, hypothetically, you know, you get like an inbound from some Yemeni email address or something like Houthi in the name. It's like, oh, I want to yeah. see like the ships in the Red Sea. It's like, yeah, Ooh. yeah. <laughs> now we, we definitely protect against that. And that's what I think, you know, it's the non, the non-sexy stuff that we, we set up is I put a lot of work into the KYC and diligence because we do that. And there's two reasons we do that. One is because we have to, you know, we're a US entity and there's rules and regulations can't sell to certain certain things. But I want to take that burden off of the satellite providers and analytic providers go, hey, we do that. So there's not this other, you know, you know, middle step in the chain where we do it all seamlessly. There's a lot of, you know, work and effort we put into that because we can't screw that up. Um, but we we do that and we're we're I'm, I'm very proud of the the team and our process behind that. Um yeah so the let's see where was I going? I was on the um what what was I talking about? I know it was well, we were talking sort of like the sort of the business like a specific example of the pools oh. and how like you know the business model works and people and you were explaining, you know, um how this might work and yeah. actually one one related question i had so you mentioned a lot uh, already that it's it can be fairly automatic and that of course is great but so if somebody needs some hand holding is there like an account manager or something there is yeah we have um you know besides our you know frequently asked questions and tutorials in the app and how to how to walk you through in youtube videos um we do have you know folks in operations and business development that you know jump on calls with customers cuz again when you know this stuff can get very expensive because the value it provides. Um, and so we have companies that come in and they just want to be handheld a little bit or the, you know, the white glove treatment, if they're about to spend a whole bunch of money, um, like anyone would. So we do have that, that, um, outbound BD team. And that's answering part of the other question where we do a lot of outbound and, and, you know, emailing and phone calls and, and all that stuff to be like, Hey, have you thought about using geospatial technology? Here's how we could help. Here's the value, um, of what we could provide. So I would say, um, probably, you know, it's probably like 60, 40, 60% is outbound to close that awareness gap. And then 40%, you know, folks know of us, they use us, they know exactly what to do. And then we hear about it, you know, after the fact, you know, when they email saying how how excited they were. In, in this sort of like outbound market education, do you feel like the EO sector at large, so not just SkyFi, but like everybody, everybody should have an interest in this happening, right? But sometimes I also feel that people are so pampered for now with like huge government contracts. Yeah. That, I mean, rightly or wrongly, probably more rightly, they are focused mostly on those like, you know, multi sometimes multi hundred million dollar, like, you know, NIO and similar contracts. Do, do you feel like the EO sector should be doing more in terms of commercial customer education? I, I do. I think I think the only way this industry will will grow where it is just, you know, magnitudes larger than what it exists today, if you embrace the commercial users. Um, I think if you look at the history of defense technology, we'll see that the commercial side is always bigger. You know, if you look at microchips, you know, how Silicon Valley started, you know, Silicon Valley didn't start with the Ubers and Googles and Amazon. It started, you know, making microchips for the defense industry and, you know, all, all kinds of amazing technology. But if you look at microchips and computers and cell phones and things like Siri, it was all spun out of a government need. And then the commercial world just made it bigger because what is really exciting is, you know, the government has pretty set use cases for how they use this technology. Well, the commercial world, again, once you put it in the hands of the innovators, that's when the real interesting stuff's going to happen. We're going to have, you know, college kids able to launch, you know, satellites, you know, as part of a class in the near future because the launch cost is getting so, so low. And that's just going to mean better innovation, faster innovation on the commercial world in these use cases, like the pool example, but stuff we're not even able to think about right now will start coming out. Um, but again, the satellite companies, for the most part, like these big government contracts have kept most of them alive um, for years. So we need to embrace the commercial world because that, that'll be sustainable forever. And is there any sort of, I mean, I assume for most of the data generators, so the upstream EO companies, the, gov the government is still by far the, the most important yeah. part. Is yeah. there any sort of like crowding out effects, sort of like that uh, sometimes commercial users can't get the data they want because the government takes everything or the pricing may get screwed up because the government may have like a like a most favored nation clause or is there any sort of effects like that or can that be managed? Yeah, I think there's still quite a few effects um, from it. 
you know, where the government will take the priority and satellite, you know, operators, and analog operators, um, you know, probably rightfully will, will say, hey, we're not doing commercial, you know, sales because we've got this higher priority or the satellites are, you know, primarily focused on a, you know, some location in the earth that there's, you know, outsized value, you know, for the government to task and, you know, buy all that up. Um, but there's, there's still plenty of, of, you know, work to be done. And I also look at the market is so fragmented. Um, you know, there's not one company again, outside SkyFi, what our mission is to, you know, to have this one-stop shop. Um, you know, if you look at all the different satellite companies, you know, each one has a unique offering. Um, there's not a lot of redundancy. Like you have a handful of SAR companies, but within that, the pricing is different because the resolution is very different. You know, companies like Umbra, you know, who have, you know, fantastic licensing under Creative Commons, you know, very transparent pricing, you know, makes it very easy. But again, there's no other company like them. And then you look at Maxar and their their satellites, you know, very good resolution, few numbers, again, not very many like a planet. Tons of satellites, varying resolution, usually caters to the the lower resolution until their future constellation is is more robust. Very different, um, and so you have these unique providers. And again, I think we'll see some fragmentation or uh, um, some consolidation come up because it's inevitable. Um, you know, whether these companies try to go upstream more, downstream more, we'll we'll see what the what the future holds. But it definitely seems like this immature market um, needs to develop more. It's great you mentioned various examples there of upstream providers and uh, you know their their advantages. So actually, I want to ask you because I mean you you may have a better overview than most other people. Like so, you know we have tons of people up there with um, you know let's call them plain old optical sensors. We've had things like um, like synthetic aperture radar for a while. You mentioned some examples. Um, hyperspectral more recently. Um, now it's very nascent, but you have some people starting to you know dabble with with lidar. Is there is there something interesting you're seeing, some some trends, some future techs you're excited about? That's one question. And then a related question would be: Are you actually are you seeing any obvious gaps anywhere that you know people listening to this podcast, potential entrepreneurs could exploit? It could be like a geographic gap, or it could be a tech gap, or, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, two really really good question. Um, what I'm really excited about is is hyperspectral. Um, you know, it it is a new technology for space. You know, it's been around for a while. That's how you know. When anthrax gets reported in letters, you know, they're they're doing hyperspectral analysis. Is it anthrax? Is it sugar? Is it flour or whatever? So, you know, now that that capability is is starting to become, you know, available in space. Again, there's there's still going to be years before true scale is there. Hyperspectral is is something we're embracing. We've got some proprietary analytics to to really use that data where it's you know, think of it as like a barcode in space um, to be able to detect, you know meth, you know, and fentanyl and, you know, drugs across the world and, you know, any, anything you can essentially do, you know, Russian camouflage, Chinese PLA helmets, like, but it has a signature, you can detect it. And hyperspectral is really, really interesting. Hyperspectral is, it's all about the database to have, to compare it against. And I think, you know, what we're going to see is that's when the computers need to take over. It's not a, a picture somebody gets where they're like, oh, I can see what's going on here. It's all just gobbledygook. Like you don't, as a human, you yeah. can't understand it. So really excited about hyperspectral. Um, I think there's a lot of growth there. I think the electro optical stuff is interesting. Um for now, but I think next year is going to be really interesting when you have companies like Albedo, which are really good partners of ours and, and you know, based in Austin here, having 10 centimeter resolution for electro optical imagery. Um, now you're starting to compete with drones at some levels and that that scalability of 10 centimeter is, is going to be fantastic. Um, you know, I was going to ask you about yeah, that, right? Yeah. I think they're able to do that because they, they they're going to fly in what we call a very low Earth orbit, right? Right. Yeah. So they, they, yeah. they're just physically they're just physically closer. But I also sort of seem to dimly remember, wasn't there at some point in time some sort of like regulatory restriction on sort of like what's the best spatial resolution you can get? Yeah, and and there was, and then that license or that restriction got lifted, you know, with the advent of of new technology. So that yeah, it's it's no longer a factor. But you're right, it it used to be. Um, yeah, I can't remember whether. It what you know 20 or 25 centimeters used to be the the lowest now it's i mean albedo is going to have 10 centimeters and they've got their license so um and then yeah they've you know with umbra too and their you know 
um, fantastic resolution. You know, they've also got it because they're live in space right now. So that applies to, you know, a lot of other satellites too. So they're, yeah, it'll be very interesting once you start competing with drones. Now you're not going to have that look down angle that certain drones do where you can, you know, see through windows and buildings for inspections and stuff, but it'd be very complimentary. Um, to what drones currently do, I think. Um, and then the gaps. Yeah, I think they're, I think, you know, for scalability, what we're talking, I do see, you know, because of this fragmented market, you know, there's not a provider that has, you know, hyperspectral, SAR, EO, all under their control with analytical solutions. Again, it's very, it'd be very expensive to do that. But what we're seeing is the value of tip and queuing, like using electro optical imagery paired with SAR, paired with hyperspectral, couldn't tell a fantastic story. You know, but oftentimes you're trying to wrangle together three different operators with three different licenses with, you know, varying resolutions, um, varying agreements, various locations across the world to get this data. So if you could combine a lot of that, again, like kind of what we are trying to do at SkyFi for that, um, I think it'd be valuable. But, well, I think there's, you know, LiDAR I'm, I'm interested in, you know, I think it's going to take a while to get there before there's a really robust constellation to see what, what we're actually doing with LiDAR. Um, but hyperspectral, I think, is still a gap. You know, there's, you know, not... I don't know if there's any American company launch that's doing. I know we've got Wyvern up in Canada and Pixel, you know, Indian mm -hmm. company um, that are doing fantastic things and a handful of others. But yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about hyperspectral. I think it's still a gap. Okay, even no, though there's, yeah. there's a gap. Agreed. It's, 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 it's only just starting. And I think people, I mean, talking about education, right? About use case education there is going to take a while, right? Because there's just so much data that's then being generated, right? It's like the, the famous data cubes, right? <laughs> Right. Um, well, and then, then the other, like to jump in on, on that too, and as it relates to funding, you know, you have very few VCs that are like space specific, um, which, which gets into a question of as you're, as you're pitching, when you say hyperspectral and, you know, these very advanced technologies, you know, very expensive to launch satellites. Um, and so that's, it's not only a customer education, but, a you know, investor education as well that I think, you know, the industry is starting to, to come about. Cause if you would have said, Hey, you know, 20 years ago, I'm going to have, you know, an application that makes it better for enterprise users to use satellite technology. People would be like, that's just for the government. It's like spy satellite stuff. So yeah. now we're, we're getting to that that phase where VCs are are more educated as well. Yeah, I mean, I I mean, obviously, listeners know I'm a VC in my yeah in yeah. my day job my day job, and so I I can see this being a I don't want to call it an issue, but I can just see this being a fact, right? Because VCs hate taking hate taking both market and tech risk at the same time. So this is going to be much better for like a space VC, which like okay, we're fine with the technology, we believe the sensor is going to work, and okay, we'll take the market risk, right? But if somebody is not like as deep in the tech, then it'll, it'll be much higher, much higher hurdle for them. Right. So, but I just pick up on a couple of things you said. One was sort of you know um, the, the various types of sensor data coming together, right? Because right now it's uh, still very much you know one company is doing mostly focus on one sensor type. Although we now see companies like Planet you know branching out, right? But I guess one thing that could happen is um, ultimately all of these companies are going to think about growth avenues, right? And if there are, you know, one sensor, so to say, is exhausted, like if you have a constellation that's covering everything, has enough revisit time, then they're like, okay, now we do like maybe the next adjacent sensor, maybe we'll do it in-house, or maybe we just acquire another company, especially if we have the resources. Do, do you see consolidation coming? And then if that's coming, do you think, how's that going to impact things, right? I mean, do you see any risk? I mean, especially your business model is sort yeah. of reliant on everybody playing along, right? And everybody being, everybody being uh, for the lack of a better word, open to some extent, right? Like if somebody starts being like not playing along and trying to build like a, let's call it like a vault garden, right? It's like, if you want our data, you have to come to us. That's it. Like, no, it's not available on Skyfire or anywhere else. Like, do you, do you see any of this? Do you see any risk of that? Yeah. As it, as it, relates to the market first i do see you know consolidation you know is inevitable um you know cuz if you look at you know just what what you know when advent acquired maxar you know that's that's probably okay a p firm coming in and and you know changing things up a little bit I won't be surprised if they you know there's next phases of that for varying other you know firms that that can do that to acquire and consolidate as they as they see the value um and then 
you know, I mean, fortunately, unfortunately, you look at the the space SPAC market, not that dissimilar to most SPACs that happened over the last couple of years. And you can see some stocks are down 80 to 90 percent, you know, consistently. And that, you know, that's a real factor where now they're, you know, potentially prime acquisition targets because, you know, the market cap, you know, the price, you can see their sales. Um, so I think there's, you know, as we, you know, see the market mature in the next you know, or continue to mature in the next one to two years, I wouldn't be surprised just based on on those. Again, the the space backs, you know, a lot of ways to look at them. Yes, those companies raised money and they're able to fund future growth. But now if you look at their performance, you know, unfortunately that's what shareholders care about. Um, you know, they're they're less than optimal besides like one or two that I think are maybe above their opening price, just barely. Um, and so yeah, consolidation I think will happen. Um with our business, yeah, I talk a lot about consolidation because, you know, it's the first, you know, question usually people ask doing diligence. Well, what happens if, you know, X company or Y satellite company, you know, does what you do? I'm like, if an individual company does it, that's fine um, because they just still have their satellites and, you know, it's a usability thing and a product focus thing and a, the user experience, which we have, you know, really good heads up on. Um, but I'll say all software is copyable. Anyone can go in and, you know, hire a bunch of ex Uber engineers like we did here and, and, you know, have a product focused team. Um, but what I will say is with the vantage point I sit at is, yeah, I think I probably talked to every satellite company in the world and I know where the weaknesses are. I know where the gaps, I know where their, their roadmaps are. So if I get a sense of, of, you know, the market intelligence telling me like, Hey, I need to, to pivot. I guarantee SkyFi will pivot faster than anyone in the business. And we'll, we'll do what it takes to, to build a great company. Um, and so we'll, we'll see. I'm always, I'm always, I welcome competition because I think it breeds excellence um, and it's really exciting to see. And whatever we can do to push this industry forward is great. Like I welcome it. I hope so. I mean, if SkyFi, um, you know, needs to pivot, to, uh, you know, upstream, downstream, then, then, you know, if that's what the market tells us to do, that's what we'll do. Yeah. I think, and, and, you know, I think, yeah, there has to be critical mass of obviously data access you can provide, but, you know, also I, I don't want to make it sound like I'm too pessimistic because I mean, I could compare it with, and this may sound crazy, totally different industry, um, mortgage broking, you know, where people can go directly to the banks or they can go to a mortgage broker. And like, what is one big reason people go to mortgage brokers? Because the service is much better. Right. And so I think as long as you guys can provide, like this is where, where we started, right? You guys are saying this is a, this is a pain in the behind process with, with the sales departments. If you guys can provide much better service, that goes, that should go a very, very long way. Yeah. And it's also just on the, the product experience as well. People are used to, you know, everyone's on their phones, you know, every day, everyone's on a computer and you're used to like a certain way and feel and accessing technology. And up until recently, the geospatial world was in this complete left field, more science focused and technical focused. And, and I like it. I mean, you know, I, I was at Uber for years. My CTO was a bunch of our engineers were, you know, where we understood, you know, building for scale and building for product. And I liken it, you know, to what we did to some levels of what, what Uber started doing, you know, before Uber came along, you could get a taxi ride. It was just painful. You had to call somebody, Hey, I'm yeah. the guy in the purple short in the corner. Well, Uber came along, made it easier. That's what we're doing. Like before we came along, you could get satellite imagery and analytics. It's just painful. Now we're just making it easier. So people value the, the efficiency, I think a lot, um, or what yeah, we're, I what we've see seen. I want, I want to make sure we talk a little bit also about the, the, the other, the final part of taking the friction out and making things more user-friendly, which is sort of uh, the, the, the apps, the apps, the app marketplace, like how, how recent is that initiative? Like at what point are you and sort of, are you kind of going a, what I call like an Apple approach where you do like the first more obvious apps yourselves and then let third parties in or how are you thinking about sequencing and developing all of this? And, and yeah, where are you right now with it? Yeah, good, good question. Yeah. So the web and mobile application, you know, we launched um, the mobile on iOS and Android at the same time as our web application, um, January of 23. So just about a year ago, um, you know, very intentionally. So they've been around and, you know, we, we, you know, have taken an approach where we're not building, you know, we want to just, like you said, this Apple app store concept, you know, that's the vision for the analytical marketplace where, you know, in the, in the medium term, we want developers to be able to put their apps on the application you know, to get it out to the world. And this could be, you know, an individual living in his mom's basement, who's got a great algorithm, wants to get it out as long as he passes, you know, the, the QC and usability checks that will, will enable, which we've already got work doing. Um, 
I do want, you know, massive amounts of solutions. And then, you know, we think about, you know, how do you rank them? Well, we'll the customers will tell us as the customers come in and you have this diversity of choice, the customers will tell us what they want. And that's another thing that gets overlooked on. I think a lot of, of what other companies don't do and can't do is, you know, we capture this value of, of customer insights. And then that allows us to build products on top of products with our partners. So again, we don't, I don't, and we haven't started building just like we don't build satellites. We don't build analytics. Um, you know, we may, we may look at one or two in the future if, if it's just data that we have that no one else can build. But you know, I've, I've seen failure in the industry or impending failure in the industry with companies that tried to hire all the people to build all the analytics, to solve all the use cases. You can just never hire enough people and the capital expenditure is, is too much. We won't, um, we won't mention names. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think there's more than, more than one. Um, yes. For it, which is just it's again yeah. this is uh it's part of the 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 market it adapts yeah do you see i mean without giving away anything did, have you seen because now you have a sort of critical initial mass of commercial customers using your system right have, yeah. have you seen any sort of really like like interesting stuff that you know you, you you're comfortable disclosing uh like any sort of I don't know, behavior or use cases i mean you mentioned the pools um, already which is a good example yeah i think the financial industry is really interesting um you know big users and and you know, in that, you know, there's not a lot of sharing or talking about it because again, it is such, you know, vital to keep, you know, if traders have an advantage, they're not going to tell another firm, obviously. And so they, they mm -hmm. want to just keep it very close hold and just like they make their money and they go on and, and do their business. I think we're, we're seeing a lot of that, which again, it doesn't get the, the commercial recognition because they don't, don't want it to, which, which is good. So I see that financial world being like this sleeper that just like continually uses and uses and uses, whereas opposed to, you know, things like agriculture, you know, it's a little bit more interesting where it's, you know, you can quickly get into, you know, how to, you know, get better crop yields and moisture content to sell. And that's just good for everyone to get that information out, um, you know, specifically from a, from a government um, side, if they can, you know, inform, you know, masses that are in the agriculture, like how to get better crop yields. That's great for everyone um, and, and the traders. But yeah, I mean, there's, there's tons of interesting use cases out, you know, outside the government, you know, as we talk commercially um, that are just, it's exciting. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you're rightfully mentioning the financial markets use case. And I think as we, I may have mentioned in Singapore, I, I used to be a hedge fund guy myself. So maybe for the listener's benefit, let me also underline that. I mean, it, this is a really um, sort of, yeah, for, for you, I think that's a very good use case because, I mean, as you know, the, the price sensitivity is actually quite low because to get yeah. an edge on a sort of a multi-million or even multi-tens of million dollar trade, you, you pay up for that. And then the other thing, which is painful for like you know, people like I used to be hedge fund guys, but great for you is that eventually, usually it does get out that this data exists. And then everyone has to buy it forever, yes. like because it, it becomes table stakes. Because if you don't buy it and then you miss a trade or you lose money, you look like an idiot. <laughs> so yeah. it's actually a really nice position for you. Yeah, it's it's like the FOMO. Like you have to you have to use it. So that's why we do a lot on you know social media, like, hey, here's how traders are using it. Cause we want them all to be like, hey, is that fund using it? Oh, we should use it, you know, because it's great. Um it's yeah, it's fun. Yeah. And I guess that that was your origin story, right? As you mentioned, this is Bill yeah. Perkins uh trader kind of uh, yeah. you guys yeah, trying to use it yeah purchase because yeah. he was always ahead of the game and and then once people found out they started purchasing so it's yeah that exact point so actually so that is the origin story i guess but then uh what so the other part of the origin story sky-fi what about the name what does it mean anything or where is it come yeah from? no we, we did a lot of brainstorming with you know creative folks and um the name we did a bunch of variations um and sky-fi just landed because it, it's you know it's short you know, it's simple. Um, and we just, we just liked it. Um, web, so. web domain was available. And yeah. Well, we had, to, we had to buy the web <laughs> domain cause somebody else had it and funny story, which we launched our product in January of 23, the same day there was a wireless company that launched their product called SkyFi, And it was all over oh. like their social. Cause we were Google are like, wait, there's another SkyFi and not competitive by any means, but it just like the, what are the odds of, of, two sky fives launching on the same day um so it was, it was really interesting but we own the the copy my 
copyright and trademark and all that stuff. So um, we'll play nice for a little while. Okay, so so look, um, we talked about sort of like okay, so you have the the, the, the initial product out there and even the app marketplace, and you you got you got customers. What what are the sort of the next main milestones for SkyFi? Yeah, um, for us, you know, we're we're only as good as our our supply. Um, you know, so I want to get you know continue with more partnerships across the board, the analytical solutions, and then um, you know the the satellite solutions as well. Um, you know, and we we partner with the onesie twosie satellites, and then you know the big companies like Planet, who's a, a recent partner of ours, which is very exciting. Um, so I'd like to increase those for us, but then as we we look forward. You know, it is really back to what we were talking about earlier is is deriving answers from all this cool stuff. You know, how can we make that easy for customers? You know, there's a couple companies that I've I've kind of heard about that are starting trying to start with that. And you know, it's really interesting because you need a robust data supply to power a lot of your underlying, you know, technology. And so that, that's where we started. And you know, for some companies that I see, they're they're building features, not necessarily companies. Um, when it comes down to semantic search of imagery, because you you need a lot more than more than that from what we've seen. But that that's where we go. Um, it's driving answers quickly, easier from our analytical marketplace, which is again, it exists today. Um and over the next six weeks, we're going to have, you know, a ton more solutions on there. So that is still in its infancy phase. I really want to amp that up. And I think the way we're doing it, again, the whole business is a revenue share, you know, with our partners, where I think that is where, you know, a lot of people will start gravitating because it is so easy. And it's just like the design of it. And it's, you know, pleasant to look at and, you know, a couple of button clicks and you could get global oil inventory for the year, you know, delivered to you, you know, and that is just unheard of um, for where we're going. And so if, if there, you know, there's some young developers or have to be young, but some developers out there and they have a good idea for, you know, like a, like an analytics app, like uh, they can go like, I don't know where do you, they can go to your website and there's like user and API guides and a process yeah. how they can apply for the marketplace or. Yep. Yep. There's API guides. Um, of course you can always, you know, email us. We have contact forms all over the place. And then on our, on our analytic marketplace and we'll make it more prominent. I think it's at the bottom of the, the page now. It's like, if you have an idea, fill out this little questionnaire, we'll contact you from a customer standpoint to get it up and, and running if we don't have it. Or as a developer, if like you want to put it on the platform, let us know. Um, we do that con like ev every day we're, we're talking to new companies, evaluating companies, integrating companies. Um, so we're, we're definitely, we definitely have a lot of work to do still, which is really exciting because it shows the potential of this industry where we're just like, just the tip of the iceberg right now, it feels like. So if everything works out, uh, where do you see SkyFi in, I don't know, 10 years or so? Oh boy, 10 years. Um, yeah, I, I want to run it to, you know, to be a public company and grow it as, as big as possible. Um, but I won't be surprised as we, as we go along, if, you know, that consolidation is a factor for us as well to see what, you know, what happens, merger, acquisition, you know, we start seeing a little bit of that you know, already again with Advent and some other companies acquiring, you know, analytical providers and as well as hardware. So, um, yeah, I don't know. 10 years is, is interesting. I like to see where we're at in 10 years. I mean, I think it'll be down to, you know, real time delivery of imagery for anyone in the world, essentially. And there's a transparent view of earth. Like we have not seen, which also brings about accountability. You know, there's no hiding. Yeah. It. I was going to ask, I forgot to ask about it before when we like started talking about the regulatory stuff. Right. Um, so, I mean, and we talked about sort of sort of where EO might go, consolidation and new sensor tech and VLU and stuff like that. But I guess if we really have in the end this pervasive, maybe real time, maybe like more and more video as well, really high resolution. I guess at some point in time, there's probably going to be some sort of like privacy thing coming back to bite yeah. everyone, right? I don't know where that goes because it's sort of like, well, I, certainly me as a European here sitting in Europe, knowing the European regulators, oh boy, they're not, they're not going to be very happy with this. No. Do you have any thoughts on where this might go? Yeah, I think, you know, the privacy stuff comes up once in a while. And, you know, there's an article last week about, you know, some satellite provider and having really good resolution. And then you remember like, wait a minute, drones already have it, airplanes already have it, stratospheric balloons already have it. So I think we, you know, we will have a continual privacy thing, but I think it's just, it's slow and inevitable. And and we as humans just give up our privacy slowly. And so, I mean, we're all walking around with cell phones in our pocket that record everything. I mean, you and I were both 
are definitely old enough to know that, or at least in the US where, you know, phone books would get delivered to your front door with your address name and telephone number on it. And, you know, yep. and anyone in the world could use it. Now we're, now we kind of leverage back, like, I don't want my info out there. And so it's, it's interesting. I think it will be an issue. I think there will always be there, but I think outside of that, the outsized value that this technology can bring for the betterment of the world will outweigh any any privacy concerns um because i think it's going to make everyone's lives um much more more you know more enjoyable better you know more sustainable planet is where i think we can really get as you get a transparent view into earth you see the pollution that we're doing and we see you know the devastation of war which unfortunately is a real thing um bring that to light and there's more accountability yeah, no, 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 totally agree. Benef benefits outweigh the costs, and we we have managed the costs or, or potential drawbacks of new technologies before. There's no reason to believe what we wouldn't be able to right. do it this this time around. Um, just a couple of questions to to finish up. Um, you guys, I I was asking, are you guys hiring right now? Is it worth for people to go to your website and check out job listings? Yeah, so we, we're not actively hiring a bunch right now. Um, we are looking for some, some sales roles. Um, and we've got varying, I mean, like it's good cause we fill roles very quickly here. Um, cause it's part of being, I think, a you know, exciting company. Um, but yeah, we go to, if you go to, um, skyfi.com slash careers, you can see the openings, you know, ebbs and flows. Um, we tend to put them up really quick and take them down really quick. Um, so I think we got a sales <laughs> development role up right now. Um, for it. But um, yeah, always looking for good people. Um, and then folks can email us at careers at skyfi.com and we get multiple a day just being like, hey, you know, here's my resume. So, which, which is great. It's a good position to be in. Good stuff. And you obviously have a super interesting gig at SkyFi, but you, you obviously you were from at a conference, a space conference in Singapore. You obviously have a good overview of the space sector in general. If I always ask this question at the end, like if you weren't doing SkyFi, what do you think is some of the other interesting commercial stuff in space going on? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think, you know, the, so I've toured a lot of manufacturing facilities all over the world for satellites. Um, I think there is, there is, you know, it's not quite in the stone age from what I've seen, but pretty close where it's still very, very manual, non-automated production lines, you know, and I, you see, I mean, I'm in Austin and, you know, SpaceX is down the road and Starlink, they're yeah. pumping out, you know, it's automated lines where, Everyone else seems to be these like exquisite one-off satellites, which are expensive. I think we just need to like get an automation line going. And I know there's there's a couple of companies doing, you know, bus manufacturing. Apex Space is a good one. K2 Space mm -hmm. for gearing towards, you know, Starship. Yeah. That that's interesting to me, um, just to make it faster. Like the whole theme is like, let's go faster. And well, it starts with how do you build the stuff? Um, and boy, some of them are just slow, um, slow, slow, slow. Yeah, agreed, agreed. And I also agree that I, I see that slowly changing, which is which is good. And if uh, if people want to know more about K two Space, um, their co founder, we have a episode about like a few months ago. Yeah, and. Um, yeah. <laughs> The final, the final question, always the same. You, you probably know, Luke, is uh, on science fiction. Uh, do you like science fiction? I, I yeah. hope so. Otherwise, this conversation yeah. always ends very awkwardly. <laughs> if you do like science fiction, what are your, some of your favorites? Yeah, I, it is by far my my favorite um, genre of movies. Um, I think my favorite one is Interstellar. It just seems to hold up because it, it bridges the you know the futuristic. Um, you know, space missions, but also this, you know, human connection to earth too, and yearning for family and, and connection, which I think is, is very important. So interstellar is a really good one. Matthew McConaughey, also local in Austin. Um, can't say I know him or hang out with him, but, um, yeah, he's got yes. a, a Austin. Yeah. 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 Austin following. Um, and then the matrix series, I think those are just cool movies. Um, you know, with, with everything I used to work downtown San Francisco and when the latest movie, was being uh, filmed. It was downtown San Francisco. You could see it being filmed from the office space and all the special effects and everything. It was, it was super cool, but yeah, between interstellar and matrix, I could probably watch those like on, on repeat nonstop and be happy. Yeah. Same, same. Yeah. Luke, thanks so much. This, this was a great sort of uh, survey of what Skyfire is doing and to some extent the EO sector in general. So thank you very much for that and best of luck to, to Skyfire. Yeah, it was great. Great chat. Thank you. Well, that's it for another nominal episode of the Space Business Podcast. If you like this podcast, please consider giving it a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform, such as iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter at podcast underscore space. Also consider supporting us at www.patreon.com forward slash space business podcast. 
If the podcast got you interested in learning more about the business opportunities in the space economy, check out my new online course on space entrepreneurship on udemy.com. The link is in the episode description. Lastly, if you have any feedback, including ideas for guests, and that may include yourself if you have an exciting space story to tell, or interested in being a sponsor, drop us an email at spacebusinesspodcast at gmail.com. I look forward to seeing you for the next episode.